Today on the Show Me Institute podcast, Dr. Susan Pennegrass is joined by Jamie Rosenberg. Jamie is founder and CEO of ClassWallet, a digital platform to help teachers manage their classroom budgets. For more Show Me Institute podcast, visit SoundCloud at soundcloud slash Institute and subscribe on Apple Podcast. Here's Dr. Susan Pennegrass. Jamie Rosenberg, welcome to the Show Me Institute podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Um, I want to give like a little commentary slash disclaimer before we start talking, which is to say Missouri has almost no school choice, basically. Very limited school choice. And we have this issue, I don't know, I'm sure you've seen this because um, you work in lots of states. We have we have 520 school districts, which is a ton for the size of our state, which means we have 520 superintendents and 520 school board members. And when bills come up on school choice in Jefferson City, those people show up uh, in force and it's very hard to sort of break through this idea. So when I started at the Show Me Institute three years ago and I went to Jefferson City, I just figured people knew what school choice was, they knew what charter schools were and I was wrong, basically. And the one question that comes up in programs that are private school choice, like education savings accounts or tax credit scholarship programs. There's a, you know, bills get, bills get filed every year on these, but even the people who file the bills say, but you know, how, how do those work? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, how, I think it's a great idea, but they can't sort of get their head around the logistics of it. And I, and I think most people would agree that having the Department of Education administer it wouldn't be successful. So could the treasurer's office administer it? And how do you sign people up? And how do you make sure they don't take the money to the casino? And how do you, like all these questions come up. And so my response has been, you get this debit card, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, in Arizona, debit card, and the magnetic stripe only works at certain vendors that are approved. But that now is old school. Because your company and companies like yours have emerged and it makes perfect sense now that I think about it. You know, I use Venmo, makes perfect sense. but what I would like you to explain is one, one way that this could work. Like it can work, the technology isn't the problem, but how does, how, how does your company solve that problem? We solve the problem as far as the accountability of the money. Um, so Class Wallet, it's, it's like, you know, we kind of say it's like Apple Pay for education or maybe kind of like HSA, but for education. So it is a virtual wallet and it can be configured specifically to be used only for certain types of transactions with only a pre-approved vendors. And because it's all on the class wallet platform, um, we and the client can control everything that goes on. So, you know, if Susan has a class wallet account, she's been given $6,500. One way she can use it is we have an online bill pay system. So very much like you pay your utilities through your banking site. Um, Let's say in North Carolina, where we manage ESA there, every single private school tutor and therapist has registered with class wallet, has been reviewed by the state agency and is approved to be on the platform. So Susan, when she tries to pay a school or a service provider can only pay those that have been approved by the state. Um, so you can't go outside the guardrails. You and can't you hire are, your sister to be your tutor and pay her the same. Exactly right. Yeah, can, okay. It's like Venmo. It's like if you want to pay your dog walker and you say, I use Venmo, you, you ask the dog walker to please download Venmo so I can pay you. It's very seamless. It's very modern. It's very current. It's very much like, like Venmo, to be honest. Um, and, and then the, the parent is required to upload an invoice that shows proof of service. So we provide the 
the state agency or whatever agencies manage the program, all the audit trail and paperwork they need for their own reporting, but it's completely paperless. Um, it's completely paperless. And then also we have contract relationships with um, very popular education vendors like Scholastic and Lakeshore and Staples and you know all the most popular vendors in the country accept class walls form for payment. So Susan can go to Lakeshore and buy materials and supplies for your student. And the, the client- And then I pay with class wallet. And you pay with class wallet. I and we you. provide the agency, the client, all the SKU level data of everything you bought. Um, they can pre-approve the purchase if they want. So it's giving Susan a great deal of flexibility. It's not the whole wide world, uh, but it definitely, you know, a whole lot of options and the agency can feel comfortable that you can't defraud and use those money inappropriately. They don't have to hire a bunch of staff and they don't, I mean, our state education um, agency's website even is, looks like it's from the eighties. It's not, I think it's actually new, but they would have no capacity to do this. So let's talk a little bit about what happened in Oklahoma this year. So under the CARES Relief Act, there was stimulus money given to governors specifically to be innovative in education. It was the Governor's Emergency Education Relief Fund, right? Yes. And our governor got $54 million and did perplexing things with it. What, did, what happened in Oklahoma? What I think happened in Oklahoma is an interesting model and lesson for other states. So first and foremost, I think it was the reason why it was able to launch is there was a meeting of the minds that you, you can't solve every problem. Okay. Yeah. So if you go to market saying, I want to help parents and I want to help them with connectivity and technology and transportation. And that was the original plan. And, and it, frankly, it died. The governor rejected it. Um, because for the very reason you've expressed at the opening, which is it's impossible to get your head around how that can even be done. So we collaborated early enough in the process where, you know, where we were able to align their mission, which is to help put parents in control of some decisions and funds for their children's educational needs with solutions that are able to execute it so that what you propose is aligned with what the market can deliver. So it's very easy for them to say, this is what we want to do, and this is how it gets done, and therefore it can get done, versus I think there had been a history of just first and foremost putting the priority on the whole ecosystem yeah. of parental issues, which is broad and diverse and, and all very important. But it's, it's not viable. So they came out with a program. First they came to you and said, we want to yeah. take some of this GEARS funding mm -hmm. and get it into the hands of parents because yes. we know that the school year is a disaster in most places. And so one of the, that governor's priorities was to get some money into the hands of parents so they could start resolving their own educational problems. Right. Yes. And then and they so, came to you. Yes. And then we explained, sort of, I explained to them the, the pros and costs cons and costs of variations of, of program size. Um, for example, tutors. I, I had to explain, well, if you want to allow them to have tutors, you have to have a mechanism in place to determine whether it's really a tutor and not the parent's sister, right? And you're giving a $1,500 to your cousin, but they're not really a tutor. And they understood that they didn't have the bandwidth or the personnel or the administrative capacity to do that. So with 
so when they came out to market, there was no tutoring available in the platform for the parents, and that was okay. So the short end what is- What did they, they create? Like, what did they offer then? So basically, it was designed to um, buy supplemental materials and tools. So, you know, through any one of our pre-approved vendors, they can buy books and curriculum and technology. Uh, We sell connectivity. They can buy hotspots and data plans. We actually did sign a virtual tutoring company. So now they they can get tutors through a company that's already pre-vetting the tutors. So it's basically a a closed-loop e-commerce marketplace of educational materials that they can use their money in. And the parents were able to apply for $6,6500. Is that how it worked? Uh, Well, there's two programs in Oklahoma. One is $6,500 and that's strictly scholarship for private school. Okay. And and another grant is called Bridge the Gap, which is $1,500, which is only for supplemental materials. And And that was the gear stuff, right? Both are funded by gear. Oh, really? Yeah. So one was a $10 million grant called Stay in School, which was for parents who already were in private school to have funds to allow them to keep their kid in private school. Wow. And the other one was an $8 million grant, which was $1,500 increments for families to buy supplemental materials, books, and curriculum for their their children's educational needs. And what was your timeline for implementing these? Uh, we implemented the whole program in about four weeks. So again, the government's never going to do that, right? They didn't have to do anything. Yeah, and they government doesn't implement any program in four weeks. No, the right? That's it's going to be four years. That's part of the problem, right? It's getting these programs up and running quickly. So you have an off the shelf, not off the shelf, but you're able to go in and and uh, create something for a state in a short amount of time. And you also do the parent application piece. So it really is off the shelf, to be honest with you. We're not configuring it. We're not. It is off the shelf. And we do bring in a partner that can do the application qualification piece, too. So it is off the shelf, end to end, turnkey, you know, from application to qualification to grant communication, acceptance denial, to funding, to expense tracking, to pulling any used, unused money back, and audit reporting. What made you think that you wanted to do this? How, how did this come to be? I guess I'm curious. So, so a class follows class follows core business and product is actually a teacher product. So we sell to school districts, um, and class wall is a tool for educators to have a budget where they can buy what they need to oh, meet gotcha. student needs quickly and nimbly, and. Um, so I've been, you know, prior to Class Wallet, I started a nonprofit called Adopt a Classroom, which was a crowdfunding platform for teachers. And, um, oh, that's cool. and it was through that platform that I developed technology. Well, how do I move money from donor in Missouri to teacher in Alaska? Sure. And I developed a wallet system to do that. And well, how do I track the teachers really using the money like Susan intended she was going to use it? And so I developed the technology to kind of manage my nonprofit. And I ended up raising about $25 million for teachers around the country. Wow. I'm a huge teacher's advocate. I, I mm-hmm. believe teachers um, are, you know, incredibly important role in our society and our communities and for our Absolutely. children. Um, and, and about three years ago, um, the sort of school choice advocacy groups contacted me and enlightened me that this technology could help some accountability problems happening with ESA. 
And then we ended up talking to Arizona. Um, we ended up winning a contract to manage the program in North Carolina. Then we ended up winning the contract in Arizona and then Tennessee. So we became pretty educated about the problems. And then over the years, we have continued to build more and more features to serve the parent market as this market is growing. So that's how it kind of evolved. Where, where do you see it going next, right? This, this school year has created a crazy environment. There's a lot of unhappy parents today. Like our Zoom calls were messing up this morning. I'm pretty certain there are unhappy parents today, right? Yeah. And, I, and from what I've, like anecdotally, I know that there are parents who are stuck with virtual. They want in person. There are parents that are being told they have to go in person. But they don't feel comfortable. They want to be virtual. And so you have all these sort of like wires crossing and I feel like uh, the solutions need to happen quickly because kids are losing, they're losing time in the learning time yeah, every yeah. day, which is Great. tragic. So I think that, you know, creating awareness around the fact that we don't, we don't have to agonize over how we can do it. There are the marketplace is kind of figuring that out. Like you're a perfect example, like the marketplace will figure out these solutions, but we need to have the will to, to first just let parents be in control in control over some of it. That's kind of the sticking point in Missouri. I do think that the school choice advocacy, you know, I hate to use ecosystem a lot, but sort of that, <laughs> that ecosystem of, of interested parties would, would be best, would be served well by looking to technology at equal, if not greater importance than policy and advocacy. And I, and I always use the Uber example, okay? So taxis and their special interests and, and medallion holders had a stronghold on the industry. There was no, yeah. okay. And- You had to buy and, a medallion. Right. Very expensive. And if you didn't have it, you couldn't have a taxi. And there was no incentive to change. You call the phone up, it's a crackly phone service. It's the, you know, it's the Danny DeVito behind the fence. and. Um, and Uber didn't try to advocate their way to success. They just did it. And technology yeah. disrupted the entire industry. Airbnb disrupted the hotel industry. Tesla disrupted oil and gas industry. If you want to disrupt, the, the parties need to understand that technology accelerates disruption and nothing will get a legislator more excited about than an app they can put in the palm of their hand and say school choice looks like this yeah. and i want that for my kid right I no amount of words good. and so i'm a big believer in in technology as an accelerator for disruption and effectuating change and i think understanding that would would help and aid your mission i mean we've got this whole micro school thing happening too right and there's a company called prenda and they have multiple forms like a parent can create a micro school in their home sometimes they're public sometimes they're private sometimes they're blended it's not clear <laughs> you know i think this year you're seeing a lot of parents who want to start micro schools and prenda sort of has a system that they can uh, adopt easily without making up their own. Um, I wonder if funding for these types of things is got to be on the horizon somewhere, right? Do you guys work with any micro school platforms? 
we don't know. I bet you that that's got to be one of the next things because parents are now saying, how do we do this? And karate academies are starting micro schools. And I think that's the question I'm hearing. But um, what I say is that uh, the parents shouldn't have to pay for it, right? So if you need to, like if you're a working parent, your child needs to go somewhere and you get with a few other families and, and you start a micro school, so that your child has a place to go, you know, parents are paying for every, including like the lunches and the snack, like they're paying for all of this. And in some cases paying for teachers, but that makes a more unequal system. I think that it would be helpful to put um, some state funding into those programs so that more parents have that option. I don't know how it's going to work out. I just think we're going to see it unfold this year. So we're, well, I mean, what do you see on the horizon? Um, I certainly see a, a paradigm shift. I mean, that's for sure. Um, you know, I see that you know, obviously the adoption of technology and remote learning by sheer force of circumstances has enlightened a whole sector and demographic of decision makers and leaders who otherwise were not even comfortable with technology. So I think we've broken, you know, huge barriers. Um, and I think the timing is really, really right. Are you expanding your services in response to like pandemic COVID business? Yeah. So, you know, before our, our marketplace used to really only sell consumable goods, uh, but now we do sell internet connectivity. Um, we, we struck a deal with track phone so you can buy hotspots and data. Um, so families that otherwise couldn't afford it that get grants can now get online. Um, we've partnered with the country's largest virtual tutoring company. So now you can buy tutoring without a whole vetting process. So no administration required. Um, and we've, we've, we've made some investments so that um, it, we make it very much easier for a whole broader host of um, service providers and vendors to integrate with our platform more easily to give parents more and more options. Um, and then for the client side, we're, we're constantly listening to the market and adding right. features that add more controls and things like that. Clients being state departments of education. Exactly. Or, or third-party agencies that are, you know, that are working collaboratively to manage these types of programs. Yeah. I mean, I can't even imagine how they did the early school choice programs. Milwaukee in 92. Exactly. How, yeah. Did they – I mean, I also usually um, – Give the example of the Pell Grant, right? You fill out a yep. student financial aid form, you put in your tax return information, they tell you if you're qualified, and if you qualify, they uh, you just say what school you're going to, and the money's in your account. You yep. know, like that's been going on for a long time. Yep. So, I just think it's a straw man argument in Missouri when they say we can't do that because there's no way to make it work. There's yep. plenty of ways to make it work. You're just one example. There's plenty of ways that we could make this work. But yeah, I think your timing's great. Because this is there's a clear need for that um, for what we're, you yeah, offer. we're in conversations with um, nine other states right now. Wow, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, you ready for that? It's big. <laughs> uh, they each one. I mean, you know, because you know, Idaho just announced a big program, a fifty is it million part dollar. of the Gears funding, or is it a permanent program? It's a Gears Act funded program. Yeah, I really wish we'd been able to do that here, but I don't see that we moving that direction but we've got some baby steps on the virtual program i do believe we're going to see charter schools outside of st louis and kansas city soon so we're, we're making progress but in missouri we like to know that every other state has already done it before we do it we just have to 
be innovative and open to new ideas. That's the goal for Missouri. So, well, thank you so much for talking to me about this today, Jamie. I really appreciate it. Um, I think it's all really interesting. I love technology. So I think it's really interesting and I love problems getting solved on the fly or not on the fly. You've been doing this for a while, but like, here's a new problem. You know that people, that I think the market's going to develop solutions. So I love that, that that's exactly what you've done. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Show Me Institute podcast. Find more at showmeinstitute.org.